Here we are. We're here, dude. We're recording. Finally, after a adventure and a half. Yeah, we. Uh, I'm in Portland, Maine. Here visiting JJ. I'm actually kind of stoked about how uh, quiet it is in here. <laughs> it's actually perfect because what we were looking for uh, before is we were planning on trying to make it work in the middle of a city, Portland, and we sat down in a couple areas, went to a park sat on a couple of benches and then you'd sit there for two seconds. You hear the seagulls loud as hell <laughs> trucks backing up. Beep, beep. We're like, this isn't going to work. Wind's <laughs> blowing real heavy. Walked into a couple of breweries, a couple bars, asked them if we could film a, a record a podcast there. And they kind of look at you like, what the f- <laughs> what do you do? There's, a, there's a lot of weird things going on in the yeah. city, but we don't need any of that going yeah. on. And I mean, we had high hopes, but it just, we, cause, cause our, we're here yeah. with the kids so your kids are napping. My kids are napping. They're supposed to be. They're supposed to be napping. And uh, we're like, we'll just, we'll find a nice little spot in the, in the park. We'll find a little park. And we'll we almost went up to the top of the garage and just sat out in the scorching sun. Well, not really scorching, but. Car, car lines. Going <laughs> yeah, yeah. The guy sanding the concrete. You're like, oh my God. Then my wife texts me. She goes, these kids aren't going to sleep. I want to go for the car ride. <laughs> you know, last ditch effort. When you can't get them to sleep. Got to do the car ride. You got to do them in the car ride. So. We said, all right, let's shoot up there quick and let's try and make this podcast happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, this is one of the reasons you guys came up here, but you also wanted the kids to meet for the first time, which was pretty cool. First time they've met. They seem like they're getting along really well. Not via FaceTime. That's right. Yeah, that's true. So that's been fun to let them kind of romp around and have Mason have some friends up here because, you know, we're still trying to get to know people up here. So there's one kind of like random thing that I didn't want to talk about. What's that? Is being here. And I said this to you yesterday. I didn't look at the markets, right? And hang on, let me ask you this then. Did you like that or no? Well, that's kind of what I want to ask you okay. because for anybody that doesn't know, for the last eight months, really since the first of the year, I've been going through a day trading experiment, if yeah. you will. Yeah. And I've been thinking to myself, you know, I just wanted to try it for a year to give it. So I I watch the markets every day. Um, mostly I've gotten to the point now where I only trade for an hour and a half in the morning, but I'm still at the end of the day watching where the markets went, things like that, trends, things like that. And I think I said to you last week, like, oh man, the market's pumped again today. And you were like, dude, I haven't, I don't look at the markets at all. I mean, I wouldn't say at all. Like I, like if I'm working in the morning, cause, yeah. like, cause there's like our schedule is so weird, man. So Lindsay works three twelves. So three days of the week, she's working all day. So I have the kids from sunup to sundown and I don't have time to like watch the market. I mean, yeah. you know how it is when you got two kids, it's right. it's a full-time gig. So, I mean, I, I'll probably, I may like pull my phone up or something and like, just see what, what my stocks are doing. just just a look to be nosy. Um, but usually like during those three days, I don't have much going on with work wise or looking at the markets or anything. Now, if I'm doing some dividend tracker stuff or some YouTube type stuff, like I'll, I'll pull up the markets right. when I'm sitting at the computer for sure. And I look just to watch, like I'm not doing anything. I may place a covered call or a cash crew put here or there for, you know, just for shits and giggles. But um, other than that, like, I'll be honest with you. Yes. I don't really look at the markets at that much. Um, if it If I am looking, like I said, it's for my own personal stocks or, you know, doing something on the dividend portfolio, whatever it is, but I don't look at it like I used to. And I got to say this, dude, it, it, it feels to me, 
it feels nice because when I do have the time to sit down and look at the markets and kind of like go back to what I was doing every single day last year in 21, it, it, I don't know if it like, it makes it more exciting or something like that. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but, uh, I don't know. Like I just, and it's not like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tell myself not to look at the markets either. You're just doing shit. It's just my lifestyle right now, dude. Like, you know, but let me ask you. So it's three, okay. it's three thirty in the afternoon right now on Monday. Yeah. So markets, are, no, it's Tuesday. Today's Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. Well, who, we, we don't need to know anything. Yeah. <laughs> Financially independent. <laughs> <laughs> so it's three thirty. The markets are about to close in a half hour. Do you know what the markets did today? Mm-mm. Like, have you looked at anything today? I haven't looked at anything today. Now, you asked me if I missed yesterday because I did, yesterday was one of the first days. I, I mean, yeah. there's probably been in the last eight months. There's probably been ten total days that I haven't traded. Mm-hmm. When I drove cross country, things like that. When I wasn't feeling well. Uh, but yesterday I definitely, it was nice to take a day off and not have to think about it. But I find myself now even entrenched in like a different community. Cause I've kind of in the last eight months entered the trading community. So just by almost force now, the people that I follow on Instagram and things like mm-hmm. that, by just going on, I know what the market's doing. Yeah. Today was the second day I didn't trade in a row, which very rarely happens. I don't know the last time I really had two days in a row where I didn't trade. We had a full busy morning with the kids and stuff like that. So it was great. Like I wasn't jonesing, but I did find myself at least curious, like what's going on in the market. Like when I did my morning poop, like one of the first things I did was like, look and see what the markets were doing. And not like individual stocks because I just trade for anybody that doesn't know as well. I just trade the NASDAQ so that I trade NASDAQ futures, which are the NQ, right? So I trade the actual index. So I'm, I have no idea like what stocks did, mm-hmm. which is a, a segue that I want to take at the end of this episode. But the real reason I asked you this question is because it's something that beginners say to me all the time when I talk about starting the need for investments. And we're going to have episodes in the near future about investment accounts and things like that and ways to invest. But how do you combat, because I'm sure you've heard this from beginners, like, Brad, like, yeah, you tell me that I have to buy the dip now or that this is where mm. billionaires are going to be made and millionaires are going to be made this recovery out of when, whenever the recovery is out of recession. Do you need to know what the NASDAQ is doing? Do you need to, people will say to me, Brad, but I don't know anything about the stock market. I don't know like what the S&P 500 really is doing. I, I Like when I read the stock things and they're like, the NASDAQ was up or the spot or the S&P 500 was down 45 points today. Do people need to track the markets and know what they're doing in order to be successful investors? No. So like, not at all. so where is that line drawn? Like, yeah. A, why don't, why do people, because right. I, I, I remember when I first started, I was like, I don't know any of those vocabulary. I don't mm-hmm. know the difference between the Dow, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ. Yeah. It really, even, I think I invested for like probably four years before I actually knew what the actual NASDAQ did. It's ironic now that that's what I trade. But where's the line drawn? Where, what should people say to themselves? Like, obviously we, because this conflicts with mm-hmm. us saying, do your due diligence yeah. and don't just blindly invest in things. Where does it, what's the, the line between blindly investing and understanding like the macroeconomics of the stock market? So there's a lot there yeah. to unfold, but I will first start off and say this nine, in my opinion, 99% of investors out there, all they need to do is throw their money in an index fund 
in this dollar cost average every single week when they get paid, mm-hmm. take a little bit off the top and put it into VTI, VOO, you know, whatever you whatever your index fund of choice is. Something that tracks an index, an S&P, you know, QQQ, whatever you feel comfortable with. Right. When you do that, you don't have to pay attention to anything. That's that's true passive investing. And that's, that's I, I'm, I mean, it, it's almost like we know each other it's really so, well. Yeah. well. Because we do have a very, very similar mindset on this stuff. And that's always my answer. And I'm, I was I was hoping you'd say that or we'd have to edit the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to cancel. Yeah, like, yeah, hang on, JJ. You got to say this. <laughs> that was dude. the wrong yeah. answer, asshole. <laughs> you know, but no, it's the the... I guess the beauty, and maybe that will become like this, depending on what kind of tangents we get on, Mm -hmm. the beauty of index funds. They eliminate the need to really not, I I, I tread lightly and say like, you don't need to do due diligence on, you don't have have to on due diligence on particular stocks. Say that again? Like you don't have to do due diligence on particular stocks. It takes a lot of the guesswork out. They are set it and forget it. Yeah. They really are. So something I wanted to, to kind of like touch on that too is I was, you mentioned like, you know, why do you find yourself looking at the markets? Why do you do this? But for me, I feel like personally, a lot of people who do like looking at the markets, like you said, and then I, you know, I like looking at it. It's part of my morning routine. If I'm working that day or whatever, it's a hobby, dude. Amen. It's a hobby. I love the stock market. I love the feeling I get when I look at it. I love the feeling of when I buy a new order and I lower my average cost and I see that when I refresh my screen and I'm like, oh, I'm at 987. Oh, I dropped to 952. Yeah, let's get under nine. But you know what I mean? Like right. whatever it is. But I also get I love the feeling when I get a notification and I got a dividend from my stock and I get to go see what that dividend in, dividend payment was. And I get to go look at that stock and then I say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm up 10% in the stock or whatever. But I do that as a hobby, but I also know myself as an investor that I can do that and not get emotional about it because that's, that's where I think a lot of people get so, um, what's the word I'm looking for, misconstrued and get messed up with the stock market is because I know for a fact whenever we had the stock market decline massively these past you know right before we've had this kind of bear rally whatever you want to call this thing i had so many messages dude for months people coming in like dude i'm freaking out what's gonna happen and i'm just like stay the course Mm -hmm. stay the course unless you're 65 you know like who gives a shit unless you're retiring this year like yeah like this is what you want to see right i i'm i'm actually i'll be honest with you everybody listening i hate seeing this rally oh gosh i hate it I mean, yeah, I want it here. It's funny that you say that because a lot of my dollar cost averaging happens during the school year. My paychecks are essentially how I dollar cost average. I am a lump sum investor. Mm -hmm. If I have money, I put it in, but your paycheck is like an automatic lump sum. And I'm about to go back to work. I haven't gotten paid since May, right? Because I'm a teacher. So I haven't been necessarily putting money into the market weekly since May. And now I'm like the whole summer, I've been like, ah. Can't Just wait. keep going lower. I keep can't going wait low. till yeah. September when I'm dumping nine hundred dollars oh. a week into the stock market, and now it's starting to like rally back, and I'm like, no, no, <laughs> because I'm going to get back to work, and it's going to be the same levels as it was in May. But it doesn't matter because well, today's today's highs are yeah. tomorrow's lows. Yeah. You know, yeah, no, that's true, and that's kind of what I was going to say is you know the the fact that we put so much 
time sensitive on the stock or what, you know, the fact that we're trying to not necessarily time the market, but take advantage of when the market's lower is something that I like watching the market for. Yeah. Because that can be, so here's the thing. I say this 99% of investors just need to invest in the index fund, whatever. But if you do invest in single stocks, and even if you do invest in just VTI and you're hundred percent VTI, let me ask you this. Do you think that you can still find opportunities if you're a little more active in the stock market? Like let's say you're, uh, you got uh, Bob here, Bob's sitting at work and he, every single Monday, Bob puts a hundred bucks in to go to VTI. He doesn't give a shit about the stock market. He doesn't want to watch it. He doesn't want to look at it. It's not a hobby for him. He actually hates talking about it. But then you got uh, fucking Adam. I don't know. Adam's <laughs> over here and Adam's same job, you know, in his cubicle is hundred bucks going into VTI every single week. But Every Monday and Wednesday, Adam, you know, listens to the Average Money podcast. He likes looking at the stock market. It's a hobby of his. Do you think Adam maybe could find some opportunities in the stock market to maybe whenever the market may hit a decline like we saw a couple months ago and they hit, you know, year-to-date lows? Do you think that he would look at that and say, oh, Maybe I can up this to 200 right now while the market's lower. Or or here's the other part of that. Or do you think Adam is saying, oh my God, the stock market's dropping. Let me pull out my $100 and let it drop farther. And then whenever it gets to a bottom, then I'll invest more. That's the part where I think you can get in trouble. Absolutely. And yes, because one of the follow-ups that I was going to ask you before this, and this kind of answers that question is, even if it is a hobby and you like it, does the daily movement of the mm. stock market affect you emotionally and what you do? Because I'll say this, I like you, I love it. You know, I love sitting down at the end of the day with a drink and a good vibe and just chilling and just checking out what the NASDAQ did. Yes. But I've never, in the last year that I've watched the stock market, I've never once said to myself, the NASDAQ did A, B, and C today. I better start changing the way I invest. Right. Like, I like it for simply the movement, but my auto- automatic investments, they're going to happen Monday. Like, I have never... No matter what. Yeah, I've never put money into my dividend portfolio on Wednesday because it was a really red day in the market. And I've never held up my regular Monday investment because it was a really green day in the market. Every single Monday, and that's the power of M1 Finance and why I love M1 Finance. Most of my investments, 99% of them are done automatically. I put, I put. Now we were talking about this yesterday. In my Roth IRA, I've already maxed my Roth for this year. And we need to do a Roth one of these days. We haven't done one in probably like episode 12. Yeah. Um, but we, I put $250 a week in now to save for next year. And that goes into VTI. So it would go from VTI to VTI. And then I put probably $100 or $150 every single week into my dividend portfolio. And that goes in every single Monday. M1 Finance does the distribution of it. It does everything I need it to do. And M1 Finance rocks. (laughs) I know. I've been telling you for a long time. (laughs) But I don't let it ever emotionally affect. And you were talking about Bob and Adam here. 
I almost think that Bob is in a better position. It's almost like ignorance is bliss. If you've gotten to the point, that's a good point. If you've gotten to the point where you are confident enough to know that an S and P 500 index or a NASDAQ index, like the QQQ or cause like people, that's the next question. Like what index do I do? That's really up to you. Yeah. Like I think if you're younger and you want a little bit more growth and a little bit more risk, that's where the NASDAQ comes in. Cause the NASDAQ is the top 100 tech companies, right? The S and P 500 is the top 500 companies. Mm-hmm. The total stock market VTI is literally every public company. So like me, old boomer, I have VTI because I want the exposure of the entire market. I want there to be a ton of different companies that affect my portfolio. And if you get to the point where you believe that that is the best path, I think that's almost better than trying. I've been trying to beat the market. I'm saying this from experience. Yeah, I've been trying to beat the market for the last year. And yeah, I have great days and I have terrible days and I have up days and I have down days. But I think the amount of effort and work that it would take Mm -hmm. to beat the market consistently on a long-term basis, I used to say it can't be done, right? That's because that's what the news tells us. Now with the experience I have, I think it can be done, but I think that the work required to beat the market is not worth your time. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. Like it's, I mean, the wheel strategy, it's pretty passive. It's easy to do. Not a lot of thought. We love the wheel. You know, but like buying options and even swing trading, I it's it's fucking hard, man. It's tough. When you're right, you're right though. Yeah. But when you're wrong, you are, you are wrong. wrong. And at 40 years old, like that's why everyone's like, yeah, you're doing pretty good trading. Are you going to keep doing it next year? And I'm like, I think it's just one and done because of days or just like a you know if you got a, a day like so what I do is like I don't necessarily like day trade, but if I see an opportunity like the market's down two percent. And I feel like it's going to keep going down. Like I'll buy a quick put. You like to gamble. Uh, Yes. Yes. And like, I think, and that's one thing I've learned with trading. Like these guys that have structure and they have entries and they have exits and like they, that's very true. They have a plan. And I think that's more than gambling, more risk management. Everything in life is a gamble for sure. But can day trading be a gamble when you wake up in the morning, you're like, I think it's going to go up today. Let's yeah. let's put some money in. If it goes up today, like I think it's going to do, you know, like a lot of traders say like react, don't think. And I think that would be kind of Adam's situation. If Adam got himself in a position at work where he's like, today's a good day. Today's a bad day. Today, a hold off. Like, it's dangerous. And to the upside and the downside. Yeah. Because people are saying, people th- three weeks ago that were like, I'm going to wait for it to go down. Well, now in three weeks, it hasn't gone down. So now you're buying almost 6 or 7% higher. So I got a best scenario for that, I feel like. Okay. So I feel like if Adam kept doing his $100 every Monday, no matter what, and then whenever he did see the market down 5 6 10, 10%, then he's like, like he's paying attention a little bit. He's like, oh, it's down 10%. I'm going to up my 100 to 200. Right. Then Adam could possibly outperform Bob because Bob doesn't know what the hell is going on. Yes. That instance is like, as long as you keep doing your regular, like, so like you said earlier in this podcast, you're like 99% of my investments every Monday, you know, da, 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 da. as long as you don't touch those core investments, like your core stuff. And when you see red days, you can tell yourself not to get emotional and then also, but actually like double down, you know, like that's where I feel like a lot of people can get, can do pretty well. And that's what I do. Like, 
I feel like I've been around enough in the market and I've seen some ups and downs. I've never lived through like a massive, massive like 08 or I, mean, I lived through it, but I wasn't in the market. Right. But like probably our craziest moments was like two, 2018 when the Fed rate said they're going to raise rates, um, 2020 when COVID hit. And then obviously what we've seen, you know, just of recent, but there's something I want to throw at you real quick. Uh, Unless you had something else you wanted to say. I just want to say okay, this. Go ahead. Is there ever a bad time to say, I want to put more money in today? Absolutely not. Right. So yeah, because, because he's winning he's winning all the time. Yeah, yeah. Even if he said at all time highs, he's going to throw in an extra hundred bucks. Dude, Adam's not going to need that money for 20 more years down the road. Where do we all think the stock market is going to be 20 years from now? Higher. Higher. Exactly. So if you're buying at all time highs, who gives a shit? Unless you're like day trading, that's different. Or like you're like, this is like a year hold for you. Or you're saying like, Oh, I'm gonna put my down payment in the market for a year mm-hmm. and pull it out. No, that's that's scary, crazy. Yes. So, or crazy, scary, whatever. Anyways, um, so let me throw something on you real quick. Okay. This just popped in my head whenever you were talking about like what index fund to choose for passive investing. I saw a video the other day, and I can't remember the guy who made the video. I've never seen him before, but he had a couple good points. He was saying there's like this massive bubble with index fund investing. And the reason he stated was right now how indexes or like index funds or ETFs are set up is a lot of these core indexes, your VTIs, your VOOs, QQQs, whatever, they're like, uh, they're weighted. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is, is when you go put $100 in the VTI, let's say Apple is made up of 5%. Of VTI, so five dollars of that one hundred dollars is going to go into Apple. You're like, the, I think twenty five percent of VTI is in the top ten companies. Yeah, so so then let's say Microsoft's at four and a half percent. So four dollars and fifty cents is going to go into Microsoft. You got Amazon that's at five percent. So right there, you already have five, ten, fourteen. Call it call it fifteen bucks of your one hundred fifteen percent in three companies. And those companies be, keep getting so massive mm-hmm. because all of this money just keeps going into index funds and money just keeps flooding into these top 10 companies that a couple of people I've been watching lately, they're like, there's going to have to be a bubble. You know, the, the risk here is that these companies can only get so big before something happens. Now, what's going to happen to cause that? I don't know. I don't well, know. isn't that kind of what's going on right now? Like, didn't things get overvalued, and we're uh, just seeing a correction of that? Yeah, it, it did. But I think I think what they were talking about was something a little different. Um, I, I'd, have to, I'd have to go back and watch the, the video. It was good. I'll try and find it. Okay. But basically what he was saying is the model that this is like kind of, like it's just everyone's moving to passive investing right now. It's the easiest way to invest. Right, 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 right. But usually it's always goes back to that saying, like if something's too good to be true, mm-hmm. it probably usually is. And I'm, the guy's like, is index fun at that point where it's too good to be true. It's too easy to be, to be good. So the point I'm making is, is he said he want, he was like saying a different model type. Mm-hmm. So instead of having the like weighted averages mm-hmm. and said, like if you go to invest in VOO now, he said what would work better in his idea was you do an even percentage throughout. Equally weighted if they exist. Yeah. And oh, do they? Re- I didn't know that. Average Joe Investor just did a video about oh, it. Oh, did he really? Yes. Okay. And I think it was a great thumbnail. We need to get him on the podcast. It was a great, great title, great thumbnail. It was like uh, index funds just changed forever or something like that. Oh, he said, watch that. And uh, that's kind of what he was talking about. 
was to have it all equally weighted. Was VTI versus some because they already exist equal weighted I index. Okay, foods. I didn't know that. And I think there there's a couple like things I would say against like a bubble or like them being too easy. One, I think I'm not calling a bubble by the way. All right, just, no, yeah. no, but I understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Number one, there are so many ETFs that I think it would be hard for one to really take the cake. Well, what my point on that though is it's not really necessarily the ETF, it's the companies. So if something would happen to Apple and But they're waiting Amazon they're waiting and- ac- waited according to market cap. So I think just like they're self cleansing. So if if Apple took a huge correction and the their market does and the market and, yeah, and their market cap went down, their weight inside VTI would change. It's not like something like the S and P 500. Like look, let's take for example, a year ago when um, Tesla first entered the S and P 500, right? Like that was a big deal because mm-hmm. their market cap got so high. And what was everyone saying? Everyone's like, well, they're going to be in and out so fast because once people figure this is when they were trading for like 1200 bucks and everyone's like, once people figure out how overvalued Tesla is, they're going to be washed out of the S and P 500. And would that, would that affect VOO in the short term? Yeah. But there's going to be a company to come right up and fill that spot in that market cap. But you don't think that would cause chaos in the market if like two or three of the major companies all of a sudden just dropped by like 50%? That's kind of what we just saw, 30, 50%. Not, I mean... Not Apple. I mean, I think Apple's about 5% away from all-time highs. I was going to say like Microsoft took a decent dip. I'd have to go back and look and see what... The, but like, I don't know, dude. I think that they change... So I think they change so much, but they're so big that we don't, we can't even see it. But yes, does it concern me? Cause this was a video cause I used to invest in Apple and things like that. And then I looked and I was like, well, by owning at the time I had like VGT, I had some mm-hmm. growth ETFs as well. Like VGT is 23% Apple. Oh wow. Yeah. Jeez. So, yeah. So I'm like, I'm a What's set VGT. Um, that's Vanguard growth, growth, okay. growth in technology. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's not VUG, which is their growth. Like I think VUG and MGK are their machine uh, gun Kelly. Machine gun Kelly are their growths. Uh, just like they have VYM and VIG are their Big, two dividends. Yeah. One's dividend growth. Uh, VGT is like information technology. Mm. It's that's their information to, and has a huge expense ratio. Blah blah blah. Okay. But yeah, like I said to myself, wow, by owning VOO. Uh, by owning VTI and then by owning VGT and by owning VUG and MGK, I'm like, shit, like you don't need fi- to have 50% Apple of my portfolio yeah. is really being dictated by Apple. Mm. So that's kind of why people say, if you are going to do it, just do VTI or some sort of total market and don't worry about any other index funds because what people don't realize is that these other index funds, although they have different names and different goals, they're still run by the same five to 10 companies that are pretty much, if you look at, and we've done this because we're thinking about making an average money ETF. When I'm trying to make this average money ETF, I started by looking at the major indexes across everything. And you realize even things like VYM and like these, you realize that they really are operated. I think I did the top most popular ETFs in the world. And I took the top 10 holdings of each of those. So you'd think it should be 100, right? The 10 ETFs, top 10 holdings, it should be 100. How many do you think it was? 40. 28. Holy shit, dude. So 28 companies 
were the top 10 holdings of wow. the top 10 most popular. And I say by most popular, I mean uh, the size of uh, assets yeah. under management. And I'm like, holy cow. That's crazy. You have 10 different ETFs. And that, that makes like, I mean, and I knew this, like I knew Apple and like Microsoft had such a large weight in these ETFs and index funds, but it's already making me second guess having Apple and Microsoft in my dividend portfolio with dividend freedom. That's kind of uh, and like, then, I'm kind of like thinking right now, I'm like, as you're talking, are you I'm saying like, that Apple is not a dividend? Stock? Oh no, I'm saying, Apple, <laughs> oh my God, here we go. No, but I'm saying if I do, cause like, but see, then I go back on that though. And I'm like, I have VTI in my dividend portfolio, but it's only made up of 10%. So right. now of that 10%, Apple, let's say it's 7% of VTI yeah. or whatever, four or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, then technically I have a fraction of that, of the 10% in Apple. So it's kind of weird to listen to, but 4% of the 10% is in Apple. Right. So then I got to go back and say, okay, well now I have, I think Apple's at three or 2% in my portfolio for allocation with M1. Is it, do I need that? I just brought it up. The top 10 holdings are 23% of VTI. So VTI is over 3,500 companies in yeah. it, right? Every public oh, company, or how many public 4,200. Com- There's 4,200. Something okay. like that. Yeah. All right. So it has 4,200 companies in it. The top 10 holdings account for 22.33% of total assets under wow. management. A quarter of it, dude. A quarter is 10 companies out of 4,200. Wow. Right. So Apple, 4.9%, Microsoft, 4.6%, Amazon, 3.3%. This is VTI? This is VTI. Okay. So the top three are 4.9, 4.6, and 3.3. Then we go down to Facebook is 1.88. So there's oh, wow. nothing that's even two. Now that's const- Now that percentage is constantly changing yeah. due to market cap, right? But the this was my big fear with the um, equally weighted funds. I don't think you could do equally weighted funds with something with 4,200 holdings in it. No. Because I will say, I like the idea of a more balanced ETF. Like I wish that 22% of VTI wasn't in their top 10 holdings. Mm -hmm. But then again, I don't want company with market cap 4220 I don't want them being equally weighted as much as Google. For sure. You know? Yeah. So I think there, I think there can be a way around that. I think most of the, um, the, uh, equally weighted funds, I think it is more like a hundred companies, 150 companies, 106 companies, things like that. Okay. Yeah, man, it's, that's tough, dude. Like I, I literally keep going back to my dividend portfolio because I'm feel like I'm constantly messing with that thing. And actually not really like it's, I've kept it pretty, I haven't really sold anything to be honest. So I take that back, but I'm always thinking about it, which I shouldn't be, but it's because that's, that's like kind of my fun one right now, my fun portfolio. And every time I put my 200 bucks in there, I'm like, what could I do to improve this thing? When really I just need to not mess with it at all. But after talking about this, I'm like, damn, I may, I'll either probably lower the percentage of Apple and Microsoft because with my dividend portfolio, I'm also trying to earn income from that. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to have just dividend growth in there. I want some higher yielding stuff because I would like to have $2,000 coming in that every single month that I can use to pay for our bills. Because, like, our our low, low bills, since our mortgage is paid off right now, unless we move somewhere, then we could probably get by 
on $2,000 for like bare minimum expenses, mm-hmm. not including like lifestyle stuff, like vacations, going out to eat, like bars and shit. But I know I could, I know I could survive off two grand for sure. And I'm like, if I got my dividends coming in and I can get there four or five times faster by not, you know, investing in Apple and Microsoft because their dividends are so low, well, then I'm set. Yeah. The only reason why I do have Apple and Microsoft and those things is because I do have VTI and I'm okay with Apple being 10% of my overall weight. I just brought up uh, VOO, which is the S&P 500, mm, yeah. and to compare to VTI. So what did I say? 22.33 yeah, was like the top that. 10 holdings? Yeah. So now granted, the S&P 500 only has 500 companies, mm-hmm. right? Not 4,200. Mm-hmm. Their top 10 holdings are 27%. So over a quarter. Over a quarter. Wow. Same companies in the top 10 as VTI. Right, so you're getting because people ask us all the time VTI or VOO. Yeah. So you're essentially getting the exact same. What do we, Apple was four point nine in the other one, in VOO, which is the S and P five hundred. It's five point nine. Same list. Almost six percent. Five point nine Apple, five point six Microsoft, four point six Amazon, and then Facebook drops a two point two nine. So essentially, by doing VT by doing VOO over VTI right now you are just increasing your top 10 holdings by 1%. Mm. Which is, it's still crazy. Like it's you said, 6%. Yeah. But what people don't realize is if you have VOO, and then we always advocate, take 10%, go for growth, do whatever you want with 10% of your net worth, right? But if you're taking 10% of your net worth now, or you're taking a, a large portion and you're diving into Apple, now you're just, you're just stacking yeah, Apple. Yeah, and uh, you said like, would there be mayhem? Like, I am not a fear, mo- and I'm not saying you are either, but I am definitely a, a fan of like, if the entire tech sector went down 50, 60%, I think we have A, a little bit more to worry about than what Apple's doing. Mm-hmm. B, I don't think Apple's necessarily going to go out of business. So yeah, like it would be a good opportunity either. to buy. But I also, you know, and I didn't always say this, and sometimes you got to get punched in the mouth to understand is that we really were as overvalued in the market as some of the as some of the value investors in the market were saying, and now it's like, oh man, like they were right, Dude, bro. Twenty twenty and twenty twenty one was so nuts, and it's bananas. Now we see like three green days in a row, and everyone's wet. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh my god, I know. Oh my god, but I'm still, I'm. This is what kind of year it's been. I day trading, like I still don't know how to buy calls. Oh yeah. Like I still only know how to go short. Yeah. I only know how to read the technicals on the short. I only know short setups. Well, there's got, there's institutions that are only short investors or only short traders. Like, so, well, I mean, there's day traders that just trade short too, Yeah. but like there's different technicals and different things like that, that are going to do that. Yeah. I know about that. There was one other thing that I was going to, Oh, here was the second point that I was going to make about why I'm not too worried about it about index funds being a bubble. Mm-hmm. And you said institutions. Retail investors, in my opinion, still make up such a large portion of price action that, like, I'm not saying that institutions aren't buying index funds like VTI and VO. What I'm saying is that a majority of their price action and movement is in individual stocks. So I think there's always going to be this natural 
buying and selling of actively managed stocks and actively managed portfolios and hedge fund managers. I think there's, I think institutions until something major happens, like they can't us retail investors. We don't do anything. When I look, when we look at the NASDAQ and the NASDAQ moves, like retail investors didn't do that. No, you know, like Mm -hmm. the, the, the NASDAQ is up today, not because of anything that Tom, Dick or Harry can do. Yeah. Right. Or Adam or Bob or Adam and Bob. Right. And Wall Street bets tried it with GameStop and AMC and it worked a little bit. Dude, that was so nuts. But though. when the institutions really started getting screwed, things happen where yeah. they it's lopsided. Like it's fucking nuts, dude. They're gonna win. It is fucking nuts to think that though. They're gonna win. And that's why I don't think that we re, there I don't think there's enough quote retail investors dumping enough money into the markets at this point in time to make index funds like a bubble. What do you think could cause another AMC GameStop? Like, do you think it would just be another like Wall Street Bets forum or what? I think, yeah, I think it would take, because one thing that Wall Street Bets, what they never did really get credit for is the people that led that charge, how much analytics and how long it took them to find that. Oh, there were some smart people who were like knew what they were talking about. Yeah. And was it a little bit of, was it a little bit of a perfect storm? Yeah. You're asking like, could a perfect storm happen again? Yeah. I mean, they made a movie about the one up here, you know, and has that happened again in decades? No, but does the weather people think that it could, yeah, I think, I think a short squeeze, I think short squeezes happen not all the time, but frequently enough, we just don't hear about them. This was like a freak occurrence. But do I think that people, I mean, what happens when you really get screwed? What do you mean? Like when something bad happened, like let's take a real estate investment. If you overlooked something and then you got screwed, is that ever going to happen to you again? Oh yeah, definitely could. Well, I mean, but what are you going to do? You're going to safeguard against it. Oh yeah. If that happened, like, you know, the sewer thing for me, I'm always going to check my sewers every house I go purchase. Absolutely. Yeah. I know what you mean. Could something still get by you? Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Shit happens. What I'm saying is I think the reason why I don't think aims these GameStop perfect storm is going to happen in the near future is because I think that so many institutions safeguarded against the ease, whether it's public information, what information is public or them just over leveraging themselves with shorts. I think that they definitely got to a position where they're like, okay, the perfect storm may come and get me again, but it's not going to be that perfect storm. Mm -hmm. Like you're going to need to do way, way more things. Yeah. Well, yeah. Now you got institutions watching wall street pets, you know, like they're like, eyeing it up to see if there's anything catching on or it's so nice if you can't beat him you can't join him yeah i wonder what's gonna happen with crypto dude (sighs) like i still put money in every single month into crypto but like we are very yeah we still have pretty um opposite confidences in it yeah like i'm not like betting the house on it by any means i mean it's still one percent of my net worth but i'm curious what's gonna happen with it it's just been sitting here for months. It terrifies me. And that's why I don't, I think just like, well, that's why it's so a bit terrified. I mean, well, I'll tell you why I'll tell you why I use that word terrified because just like lawlessness terrifies me, just like things being able to happen. Well, with- hang on though. Don't you think there's corruption going on in the, our American, you know, the, the dollar, like there's corruption going on in our current currency it's just 
everyone, whoever's doing it can hide it because they're big enough to do that. Right. They can, they can sweep some stuff under the rug, but if they really needed to get, like if they ever piss somebody off, they at least would be able to, there would at least be some sort of trail. At least they have to hide a trail. The, the, the thing that scares me about digital currency is I think that, well, number one, I don't like, even if a small portion is being used to fund dangerous organizations, terrorism or not, human trafficking, anything. Yeah. If, if it's being used to do anything illegal, money laundering, like, yes, does that happen with the American dollar? Absolutely. Absolutely. But is it more dangerous when nobody can track it? Yes, that that makes me a little terrified. The other thing that makes me more terrified is I'm afraid of it. Like we've seen this in countries already where countries come out and say the the dollar no longer matters, whatever their dollar is. I think the most recent one was in India where they were like, this currency no longer exists. Oh, wow. I don't know when that was. But what are they? The rubles or something? I don't know. No, that's is that Russia? I think that's Russia. I'll be talking out my ass. I'm not okay. going to pretend right. to know America uh, world currencies. I know the euro and I know the dollar, and I think the yen is Chinese. Peso. Oh, the pe- I know I'm a big fan of the peso, yeah. but like, uh, you know, if it got to the point where a government really wanted to say the U.S. dollar, we're not going to use that anymore. We are going to give you this digital currency to use. And we are going to dictate. There's places in the world right now where like Johnny can only get gas with a certain digital currency on a Thursday. And that money is given to him by the government to get gas on a Thursday. That's, that's the thing I say terrifies. Okay. So I think that's pretty like extreme. Yeah. But let me play devil's advocate here. Okay. The banks could close down tomorrow. They could. And then they have all of our money, but there'd have to be all the banks all at the same time. And all those rich bankers who run the banks, they'd be equally as fucked. I think it more depends on what the market ends up doing. Like, that's what I like about crypto is like, again, I'm not a like huge crypto guy, so I could be talking out my ass here right now. But to me, what it's like, again, government can always right now can pretty much regulate whatever they want. But I'm just, I don't know, dude, like I'm such like a small government type guy. Like I'm the type of guy where I, I don't want the government to tell me pretty much do anything. Like I want to, like obviously you got to follow the law and stuff, but after that, I want like small government. And I am a paranoid, terrified, anxious person. Yeah. Like that's my personality. My personality is to always fear the worst. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this at at nauseum with each other. Like, and I know your position, but I'll, I'll have you say like, it doesn't bother you at all that we don't know how Bitcoin was created. Right? Like it's not something that you think about. Not really. But I also don't use Bitcoin like I use my dollars. But what I'm but so how's the I mean But that is the sole reason that I liquidated my my Bitcoin. Because why? You think Bitcoin could vanish? Yeah. Or again, that's why I have one percent of my net worth. Or with with call me a conspiracy theorist or whatever, if I found out that there were certain people or certain organizations that were behind it. I know we've all seen the TikTok of that crazy guy on stage being like, if you knew who started Bitcoin mm-hmm. eh, like I do, it would go to zero in an instant. Mm-hmm. We've seen that guy, right? I don't know about that, but I'm somewhere a little bit 
not as extreme as that. Yeah. And, and again, I won't give, and I won't give examples of who those people or organizations will be. We can speculate our own, but I'm saying if, if there were some people out there, at least with Ethereum, right? We know who, what, when, where, why we know all of that. I'm more, if I was going to jump into something and here's the reason why I don't invest in Ethereum is because I feel like they, they're trying to do too much. They have their hands in too many different avenues. That was the one thing that, like if we could find a healthy medium between the simplicity of Bitcoin and it, it has serves one purpose and the open transparency of Ethereum, that would be the cryptocurrency for me. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, 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 I don't really care too much about it, to be honest, because it is such a small amount. Like, I'm not a big crypto guy. I just kind of hold it to see what happens in the future. But, right. um, and I'm not saying because I know the pe- there are people who argue with me, like, whoever, whatever started Bitcoin with how big the blockchain is, they couldn't just eliminate the blockchain. That's what I'm not saying. I'm saying the public perception of it. Got it. I'm saying, like, if, right, like, if you were if you went to a pizzeria every single Friday and then you found out the owner of that pizzeria was involved in certain things, um, like terrible, mm-hmm. awful things, yeah, they could still make pizza and operate, but nobody's gonna go there. That's a good point. That's how I feel like if we find out, whoa, this particular uh, this particular group was they're the ones that paid all the money to these people to create this blockchain and their goal was to do this with the and to manipulate our currency the power of the amount of people that no longer trusted in it. That's what I believe will make it to go to zero instantly. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know, dude. That's why I don't have a large position in it. Some people do. Yeah. I see a lot of young kids. Um, I've talked to a lot of young kids, especially in Florida, dude, not even young kids. I talked to some guys my age and you know, we obviously get money and investments and stuff get brought up every now and then. And, I would say out of like younger kids and guys my age and younger, 80% of them say they have probably their, most of their money is in crypto. Yeah, that's that point. Which scares the shit out of me. That really does. And I ask them, so here's the thing, when I ask them why, it's the future. <laughs> that's all I got. I'm like, guys, you understand, like, I'm not trying to be a dick here, but... Like when I go buy Apple or, you know, VTI or whatever, like I have a business backed investment that's producing revenue. <laughs> Crypto is, there's no value. Like there really isn't like, it's like gold. You know, obviously there's value, like easy people don't crush well, gold me, is tangible. You can hold it. Well, not okay. But still though, it's a rock. There's no value. The value is what the guy next to you is willing to pay for it. Well, I mean that that's, that's any currency. Agree. Yeah, agreed. Right. That's why I don't invest in currencies. Like we've we've pretty much agreed that like, hey Adam, I have a one dollar bill that's worth one dollar. You agree that I'm going to give this to you and it's worth a dollar? Yeah. Yeah, I trust that that's worth a dollar. Okay. Yeah. But that's that's macroeconomics. Like people don't understand so, like how the dollar is backed and why we trust yeah, the dollar. Yeah. And th- <laughs> dude, it's it's nuts shit, dude. It's crazy to think about that, but. I also say though we the past since 2016 like I think that's when I made my first bitcoin investment was 16 and it was one of those things where I was like you know I don't know what I was getting into I still think about it I'm just like there's no way I could sleep at night knowing I have 50% 
or 75% of my portfolio, my net worth in fucking crypto, dude. Like that's, that's so like, and again, there's going to be people on here that'd be like, you're an idiot for saying that. Well, call me an well, th- idiot. Those like, are the same people that were emailing me six months ago and asking me if I wanted to stake my crypto in, in these weird brokerages and, and telling me, Oh, that, I did that with BlockFi and telling me things like, Oh, it's a stable coin, Brad. Oh, well, it's yeah. a stable coin. Well, how did Luna do with that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So when I staked, I guess you'd call it staking. It was mine was my Bitcoin. I held what was it, five grand or something in Bitcoin and BlockFi. Okay. And BlockFi's still kicking, like they're still doing it. Yeah. Uh, but the stable coin thing I never got on board with. I never got it. I never understood it. But the interest the interest that you were making to stake your crypto. Like was that um, That was not what I, you could make on stable coins. Bitcoin was paying you like four percent or something. Four like percent. Yeah. Not eighteen. Not okay. So I don't know. Dude. They, and they still pay four percent? I've checked. I don't do it anymore. Okay. Once all the Luna shit and all that happened, I pulled all my stuff that, out. That's when I was like, oh my God. Yeah, I pulled it out. So all of your crypto, what what brought like what exchange, I didn't have all it in there. What do you use like what um exchange do you use for Coinbase. You use Coinbase. Mm-hmm. And do you and you keep your stuff cold on like a ledger? Yep. Yeah, that's that's really the only way. Yeah. That's it. I mean, because look what happened with these like Voyagers and shit. People not being able to get their money off. Dude, imagine the guy. I saw a video of now, a could guy. Could that end with Vanguard? Yes. Vanguard could go out of business tomorrow. Well, usually though, another company's gonna come up and buy all their assets up. Right. Like T Row or you right. know, Fidelity or something. So it's a little different, but um like dude, like that's just so crazy to think about. Like imagine having so I saw this interview of a guy who had like half a million dollars in crypto on Voyager or something like that or some some other scam type company or whatever it was. And I the last time I heard he never received his money. Oh, I forget. Maybe it was a coin. I think it was a coin. They lost dead. Those they're never getting them back. It's fucking nuts, dude. And I don't know if he was just spouting out the mouth, but like I know Cuban had a bunch had a bunch of money into it. Yeah. So you don't need to know that much about the market to invest. Stick with an ETF. Mean well, you don't invest in all, but I like to keep a low percentage in crypto. Oh yeah, I just don't. Yeah. I mean, I would rather do other my what you have riding on Bitcoin is what I use to day trade. There you go. That's and I think point. they're equally as risky. Yeah. Like I I'd agree. I, I'd say up to 10% of your net worth, dude. Travel with it, do whatever you yeah. want with it. And like I said, I don't go that high because I'm old and conservative. But yeah, like people say to me, when I was talking in my most recent video about my day trading, I started the year with 10 grand. And people are like, why'd you start with so much money? And I'm like, well, we have to understand that people's, the amount of money people have that are willing to pay for education is different. And 10 grand was something I felt comfortable with. But my 10 grand to somebody could be $100 to somebody else. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's, oh man, the, you got to start with index funds. Yeah. If you, if you, you don't you have know. To, you have to stay with index funds. Mm-hmm. Have that be the core. Yeah. Like we're not financial advisors, but. Dudes, real quick. I saw a guy, they, that a guy had a name for my portfolio. There's a strategy called something. It was called, uh, what did he say? The Buckner strategy? No, no. It's like an actual like definition. Uh, core and satellite portfolio. Okay. That's what he called it. And I was like, I don't know what the hell this means. Hang on. Let me look this up real quick. Um, core and 
satellite. Because I literally said in the comment, I was like, oh, I didn't know there was. Here we go. Core and satellite strategy. So it says, at a glance, a core satellite investment strategy is a method of building a portfolio that focuses on heavy of having a core group of investments that are well diversified, long term, low cost, and don't ever need to change with a smaller group of holdings that are more actively managed called satellites. So basically, I have 55% that I would consider my core holdings 30% is in SEHD, 15% is in JEPI, 10% is in VTI, 55% is in ETF low cost index funds, uh, not minus JEPI, um, JEPI, which is a covered call ETF. I know ever at, uh, when I just did my heat video for uh, QILD, QILD, which was a great video, by the way, everyone go watch that. If you have not seen it already, cause it was good. People, um, people are like, I see what you're saying, but give JEPI. So like JEPI is one I have to go back and cause I, I did say it. in that video, I was like, I'm not doing anything like I'm not, I'm putting all covered call ETFs into one basket. And they were like, please just take a look at Jeppy. Yeah. It's a popular one. It is. Um, yeah. I'd be curious if you find anything on that, like different that I don't know. Subscribe to the channel, bro. Bradfin. Yep. And check it out when it comes out. Let's go, baby. It'll say Jeppy on the thumbnail. There you go. Jeppy and SCHD. Because apparently too, in the two years since I've done my best dividend paying ETF, SCHD apparently is the new answer. Yeah. And, I did see a article come out, I think it was on Seeking Alpha, of a guy saying SCHD has never been through a low uh, a time frame of rising interest rates. And he was trying to say how it's going to not be able to combat against rising interest rates, which looking at the top holdings, I was a little confused because like top holdings are like Texas Instruments, uh, Home Depot. Um, I have to go back and look, but I was like, I don't really get where he's going with this. Um, but anyways, I don't know. So yeah, it's, you can check a look, wait for that video too. Yeah. You know me, I like to do my due diligence. Yep. Got to, but yeah, core, I guess mine's more like, Oh yeah. So back to that, yeah. I, he said that and I was like, I had no idea there was a, a name for that. So then my satellites would be all my single stocks yeah. that are two to 3% allocation of my portfolio. I thought it was kind of cool. So that's my dividend strategy, I guess. I would say more like for me, it's like I have my core, which is just VTI. Right. My satellites are like my 25 stock dividend portfolio. Yes. I, th- I think of it more in terms of like my percentages of my yeah. net worth as opposed to like what I'm actually doing with that. Like my very, my little Pluto, we don't know if it's a moon or a planet is probably my day trading, which will be over soon. But when that's over... My, I'm gonna have my VTI and my dividend portfolio, and that's pretty, actually no, that's I can't say because I, I wheel with a completely different portfolio as well. So that's probably one of my satellites as well. Something else, and each one of those little satellites is like 50k, and I can handle that. Yeah, something else I think I'm getting more back into is wheeling, but hey, that's another episode. Maybe we have to talk about get back on the wheel. Yeah, dude. Well, it was fun. Yeah. To sit down. I don't know when we're gonna get to sit down together again. It'll probably be a while. These damn Zoom calls. People have been asking to uh, stream, and I think we made it sound the last time we sat down together that we were never going to stream ever again. We'll hop on. We'll stream. Keep an eye out. Subscribe to the YouTube channel or hop into the uh, the Discord. This episode, once again, is sponsored by all our patrons that give us a cup of coffee every single month and, and make sure that we can continue to do this. Let me say something real quick. I yeah. haven't set it up yet, but it'll be out by the time this episode's out. Um Brad and I, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I know we talked about it. You're looking at me like I don't know what the fuck you're going to say. Are going to start 
doing uh, coaching calls. Yeah. So if you guys want to talk to us about, and you'll be, it'll be, you'll schedule a call with Brad and I. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can get both of our feedbacks. So kind of like two for one. Yeah. And it, it, anything. Maybe we'll make, we're going to make that tier on Patreon, right? Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. That and then also through Clarity. Through Clarity. Yeah. Right. So like if you're a, a Discord member, right? Then you can get you know the next upgrade. I guess would be that, and then you can just get a, a call a month or if you, whatever whatever you want to schedule it. But then we'll have it through Clarity where you can actually schedule a call with us and Brian now hop on. If you got a budgeting or you got a situation or something, you would just like some feedback or some our you know thoughts. Exactly. Then you know, or if you want to talk to about options or whatever the hell it is, we'll just get on that real beer estate. Yeah, yeah. I want to have a beer. Pretty much <laughs> anything you want. Keep yeah. cold, Tommy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to let let them know that. Awesome. All right, guys, coming to you live from Portland, Maine, Mainers. We'll catch you on the next episode, guys.